Welcome to the Rooted Legacy Podcast. At Laurel Branch Church of God, we are devoted to developing an environment of engagement with Yahweh and hosting His presence attentively. Our hope is to help others become rooted in beloved identity and further the kingdom of God on this earth. From Pastor Seth Klein and the congregation at Laurel Branch Church of God, we hope this message brightens your day and changes your life. We pray that God blesses you and all that you do. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. No, I never found the one I was looking for. I, I, I got more than past translation about the car. That's all right. I, I, I don't. I'll, no. Um, I'll, uh, I'll use this one this morning. Last week, last Sunday, we talked about uh, the whole concept of what you're looking for in the Scripture is most definitely what you'll find. Whether you're looking for uh, something to validate your opinion, something to justify your 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 beliefs, something to excuse uh, your shortcomings or whatever it may be, you'll find that in the Scripture. Uh, the Scriptures are solid. But apart from interpreting them from the scriptures, they can they, or the spirit they can be ripped to shreds, or yeah, ripped to shreds. I mean, you can manipulate the scriptures to make them mean what you want them to mean in the moment in which you need them to mean, as said. Uh, people love to take the scriptures and argue them. People love to take them and 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 use them as opportunities to debate. A lot of them do this because they want to uh, present themselves as so much inferior and so much, or so much superior and so much smarter than everyone else. Um, if, if that is your point in studying the Scriptures, you've already failed miserably. If you, if you study the Scriptures to have you know, a reason for the faith that you have, then, and, and that is really just you trying to beat someone in argument. Shouldn't debating be to learn, not to argue? And maybe. It don't, I don't know. You can, you can debate people just to be right most of the time. I mean, if you're going to debate, debate has to be two-sided. But most people want to debate, and it's, it's, single, it's single-sided. They want, to, uh, in, they, they want to impress or they want to impose their beliefs on somebody else. Uh, most people that win the argument are the ones that have more information and know how to manipulate it. Has yeah, I mean, you can have an understanding and not have knowledge, though. I mean, yeah, Mark, turn to Mark 7, Mark chapter 7. I'm going to use that scripture this morning and uh. To teach out of Mark chapter seven verse twenty through twenty three, in my notes I've, I took them from the of the New Living Translation. Uh, this morning I'll read it out of both the New, the New Living Translation and the King James. Mark chapter seven verse twenty through twenty three. We're going to read those three scriptures primarily just to. to Four scriptures, excuse me, I can't count this morning. 
But a lot of people will study the Scriptures not necessarily to show themselves approved, but to show themselves um, impressive or show themselves superior. And that's the wrong intent. Here's the intent. I'm not studying the Scriptures to prove to you I'm righter than you. (laughs) I'm I'm studying the Scriptures to, 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 to shine a light into your circumstance that will lead you to Christ and the person of Jesus. I don't preach on Sunday morning because I want to impress you with how much I know. I, I want to give you what the Lord has given me and it may help you advance further in your walk with Jesus as it did with me. And here's the problem. A lot of people that study scripture to give impartation and the impression that they're intelligent when it comes to decoding the scriptures are not advancing in their walk and they're not feeding the sheep. You know, they're, 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 you can impress somebody and not, not, not feed them, okay? You can be as simple as they come and do more for somebody's soul than those that can, can seemingly decode the complexities of Scripture and, and seemingly uh, convince you that they are, they are completely enlightened, more so than anyone that you've ever seen. Well, that's, maybe that's, that's good. Trust me, that's good. I, I, I agree that we should, we should delve into the Scriptures to uncover more than just what's on the surface, right? I mean, you, you, could, you can find something laying on the ground, but if you know that there's more that is under the ground, are you going to be so lazy to just take what you found on the surface and leave everything that you know is down deep behind Coal, for instance, we, we, can, we can do surface top, you know, and I, I think I'm not a coal miner, never been a coal miner. I've, I've only heard people who talk about coal mining, but I remember they, they used to talk about, you know, taking a little bit off the top, exposing the coal. And I, I, I remember a guy saying that his first job was sweeping the coal. That was still in the ground. And then they would scoop that up. But I, and I'm thinking that that was years and years ago. We have come so far from there because now you can look at where a mountain once was and it's no longer there. But they take it down, which I'm not here. I'm not I'm not I'm not a, a environmentalist activist. I think we need coal mining. Don't get it twisted. They put the mountain back, you know, and it probably it's, it's more. It is absolutely of more value before or afterwards than it was before. And uh, how, many, how many families and, and homes did it help to provide incomes for? So, but I'm just saying, we, we went further in advancements. People knew that there was something precious under the ground, and they went through the appropriate steps, and they invested and they invented the appropriate equipment to get them to where they needed to be to get what it was they were searching after. I need us to understand that the the Bible is more like a coal mine or more like a gold mine, and there's more in it that is of value if we will seek it and search it out rather than just just, uh, being content with what it is on surface value. I believe that surface value Christianity has, has really hurt us, but at the same time, I'm not trying to delve in or dive deeper into the scripture to impress you. 
I must do it to inspire you. Those are two totally different things. If I impress you, I could probably leave you ticked off as well. Hmm? I love, I mean, I, would, I don't love to argue. Let me rephrase that. I am good at arguing. I really am. People have a knack at arguing. And, and it's really, do you, know what the, do you know what the key of winning an argument is? Twisting the other person's words. Really. How do you think lawyers win cases? They twist the other person's words and they manipulate the evidence. They literally, they literally translate what they've heard and what they've seen to mean what they need it to. That's how lawyers win. That's how they win the cases. That's how a good per, that's how a person that is good with arguments win arguments because they listen closer to what the other person's saying than the other person themselves. And then they take those words and they manipulate them and they twist them and they use those words against the person. All you got to do is find one discrepancy in what somebody says and you can win the argument. All you have to do is find one inconsistency in what somebody says and you can win the argument. Smart people will win arguments. But, but people who are led by God and the Holy Spirit will win people to salvation. There is a big difference here. And so what I'm saying is, is a lot of times we will seek the Scriptures to find a subject or something that will relate to an argument or a debate that we're in so that we could win that debate. Why? Because we walk away with our chest puffed out and our nose up in the air because hoorah, I just, whipped the, I just beat the brakes off of that joker in, in a biblical uh, debate and he don't want no more of me, man. You know, that, that, that's, that's, that's arrogance. And uh, listen, I, I used to use the term, I'll be your huckleberry in biblical debates all the time. Because I was Doc Holliday, man. I did not care. I had nothing to lose. I was young and dumb and arrogant. I knew a lot, but not as much as I thought I did. It, it, and I mean, still today, I don't know as much as I would like. I, I'll state it differently. But I looked for people to argue with on social media. I, I would have conversations with people and it was an opportunity for me to showcase my knowledge. All of those were wrong. How many people did I lead to the Lord? Probably zero, more than likely none. And, but I had people that would come up to me. I mean, I'm not telling you this. I'm not making this up. These are true life events for me. I would be occupied when you start reading a Facebook post that has a hundred comments by two or three people that are just bickering and arguing back and forth. Those three people have a little bit too much time on their hands and nothing else to do and their life sucks, period. <laughs> and my life was in there, okay? Because uh, I would be so occupied and so drawn to arguing and proving the scriptures, but I wasn't proving the scriptures, I was proving myself. And, so, and people would come up and say, hey, man, you really handed it to them. I'm like, I know I did, man. You know, So I thought I had an audience as well, people that were low-key incognito watching me destroy the enemy, right? Kind of puffs you up a little bit. And so, uh, again, it was fuel that fed me to win the kingdom, win the world for the kingdom, and yet I wasn't winning the world for the kingdom. I was just, I was trying to win over an audience, and that's... Too many times what we do in, in, 
in the ministry today is we're looking for an audience to entertain or we're looking for someone to give them a real biblical beatdown when it comes to debating the scriptures and those are all wrong. Okay, if I can't show you Jesus in what I preach and in what I teach, then I'm doing it all wrong. There's, there is never a time that I should teach you what the Word of God says without you understanding that it is a picture of Jesus. It is the revelation of the Christ. And it is also intended to show you that Jesus lives within you. So I always say revelation should reveal the person of Jesus and Jesus within the person in whom it's being revealed to. Okay, that, that, that's, we preach Jesus. I don't preach intellectual knowledge. I shouldn't. And if I do, then it should also point to Jesus. Everything that we read in Scripture should point to Jesus. And one thing that I've heard over the years, I really like it, and I don't like using uh, church cliches and Christian cliches, but you know, it's, those things are catchy, and hopefully they, they help you remember. But they've always told me that the Old Testament is Jesus concealed. The New Testament is Jesus revealed. What's the emphasis on those two statements? Jesus. Jesus. Okay. It's only concealed to those that do not have the heart to seek out Jesus. Okay. And it's only revealed to those that have a heart to seek out Jesus. So I could say that whether whatever the condition of your heart is would, is what will determine whether Jesus is concealed or Jesus is revealed. Old Testament or New Testament alike, it doesn't matter. So again, last Sunday I talked about whatever you're looking for when you read the text is what you'll find. And I, I used the, uh, uh, the illustration or I used the uh, ideal or I pitched this idea from a movie that we watched um, where, where there was a, this, this statement was mentioned twice. Okay, what you're looking for when reading the text, text is how you will interpret it. So whatever you're looking for is what you'll find, period. And uh, the statement, I'm reading this again, just, just review. The statement was referring to a book that predicted an end time war. But a young man examined the text and discovered that one could easily misinterpret the words. What many had interpreted as a final war, or maybe Armageddon, if you will, could have actually been, been interpreted as test or evaluation. Is it a war or is it a test? Maybe the test was to see how we interpret the text and possibly the condition of the heart of those that studied them. We have to understand that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, according to Proverbs 23, verse 7. So simply, a man is what is in his heart. You are as you are in your heart. You, a man is as what is is in his heart. And Jesus confirms that we won't go there yet, but Jesus will confirm that in Mark chapter 7, verse 20 through 23. And so... I believe that so many will read the scriptures not necessarily with evil in their heart, but selfishness in their heart or conceit in their heart or arrogance in their heart. One thing that over the last couple of years that has absolutely gnawed on me is arrogance. And arrogance laced with a false sense of humility is the greatest stench that the church has ever, has ever emitted. Arrogance, 
Arrogance mixed with a false sense of humility is one of the most putrid, putrid odors that the church has ever emitted. Listen, and uh, I don't care if you've got a leaky sewage system and it's seeping up through the ground. You can put a pretty display on top of that ground and you can plant grass on top of that ground. You can do whatever you want to and you can try to mask the odor. You can make it look as pretty as you want to, but it still stinks. You stand over it long enough, but you used to it, you don't smell it. Yeah, I'm not going to stand over it long enough. <laughs> I think about that every time I come through Hotchkiss, man. It was right the other night, man. I said right like that on purpose. I don't say it like that, but, you know, it's usually right. Y'all know what I mean? It's right. I just want to put a little emphasis on it there. Uh, but again, what, whatever you're looking for when you read the scriptures is what you'll find. Most of us aren't looking for Jesus, which is the sad part. Most of us are looking for the right answer. Most of us are looking for validation. Most of us are looking for vindication. I mean, you, you, you want to know how many conversations I've had with people coming up to me? Because they know... I like to debate the Bible. I love to talk about the Bible. They come up to me. And this is how it usually unfolds. They're not coming up to me to talk to me about the Bible. They're wanting to get something out of me to confirm their theory or their argument with someone else. And they'll ask me and I'll be like, that's what I told them. Or who, 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 who? Who'd you tell? That's what I told such and such the other day. You know what they said? I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's very easy to take what I say out of context and put it into your text and make the entire text mean something completely different. Now, what you asked me was, but what you failed to do was give me all the information. I've had people contact me and say, hey, man, how do you feel about the church doing this, that, and everything else? You know, uh, I'm not real big on the church becoming a, a place of merchandise or industry. However, I'm okay with I'm okay with the church. And I know people would would disagree with this. But listen, you don't go to college and 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 not pay for the information you receive. But we have this idea that we can go to church and not pay for the revelation. You're not paying the one that gives the revelation myself per se you're paying the kingdom of god the holy spirit that that gives the interpretation and the revelations of god like we, we will pay into anything in this world except for what the church is doing and i know why okay i'm not an idiot i realize that many churches probably pay their pastor entirely too much they have too many pastors on the uh, uh the, the the payroll most of them are related to the primary and lead pastor anyway and they have too many things that they try to do to make themselves seem more fresh and relevant and yet they leave there's a place of negligence when it comes to helping people within the community so i understand that but again uh what I was saying was I, I have a problem with merchandise and industry and all this stuff and 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 the church being a marketplace but you know I was asked one time about uh, how do I feel about churches doing uh, uh, conferences or something so in that manner uh, to teach? I said, well, I think, I think that's okay. I think it's okay. Uh, and, and then I got hit with a trick question. I was like, oh, I see what you did there. And, uh, you know, well, how would you feel if this happened? I'm like, 
you know, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of the same thing, but yet it's, it's a little bit different and I'm really not going to get into it on Facebook. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, uh, we should know what's right and wrong. You know, let me just go ahead and tell you, um, I heard a story one time about a church in one of the Southern states. I think it was Georgia that really running low on some income and was having a hard time paying their bills. All of a sudden, man, money started flowing in like a river about to bust the brinks of its bank. And then all of a sudden, uh, they stepped in and started auditing in this church. Guess what the church had done? Great, great idea as far as making money. I mean, what an investment, okay? They had a basement in the church. They turned the basement into the bar. Saturday night, they were selling whiskey and beer and playing playing vulgar, perverted, profane music on Sunday morning. They was gathering up top and worshiping the Lord, but they were paying their bills. So, I mean, you got to understand. And, and guess what? I mean, people would find Scripture to validate that, okay? Or, you know, people looking to find Scripture to uh, condemn that. Okay, you'll find scripture to do either one. But guess what? If you're not if you're not using those said scriptures to achieve the end result of somebody seeing Jesus in the reality, then we're missing the point. I'm not teaching you this morning so that you understand that I studied the Bible. Okay, I probably didn't study the Bible uh, to your thought of study standards. You know, really, I mean. Most people believe that I should have studied the Bible at least 40 hours this week just to deliver a 30-minute sermon to you. What if I didn't? Does it make what I give you any less uh, uh, authorized or any less anointed because I didn't spend a, a minimum of 40 hours praying and studying and fasting over what I'm about to give you this morning? No. What I'm, what I'm about to give you may have only been 30 or 45 minutes of study, but I can guarantee you that it was on my heart all the time. I, I've thought about these. I've questioned. I've asked God. I've, st- I've, I've, I've had dialect with God or dialogue with God. I've had conversation and communion with God. And none of this has came on my own accord. I can't, I'm, I can't give you any of this, I promise you. In and of myself, I won't give you anything that I've ever preached. It's always got to come from God and always has come from God. I can tell you times I attempted to preach on my own accord and I failed. I can tell you times that I started to preach on my own accord and in the middle of it finally gave up and surrendered and God took over. People come up and said, man, that was a good sermon. I'm like, if you only knew. If you only knew that in the back of my mind I was praying for help and gasping for air. I mean, I don't know if you've ever preached or not, but there's a lot of times, I, I was, especially in my younger years, and I'm only 37, my younger years that I literally felt like I was, I was drowning while preaching because I was struggling. And I know that what the struggle was, it was a struggle between me surrendering and me resisting. And I was resisting God rather than resisting the enemy because the enemy had become myself. Because I was wanting to do it to receive the credit and the accolades. And, for, and it wasn't for God to be the glory. Okay, After almost drowning a few times in thin air, it really felt like I was drowning. I realized that I was, I was suffocating myself. Hmm? Because listen, do you, know why you, do you know why you suffocate? 
It's like oxygen. We think we can't inhale, but you, you suffocate just as equally, ju- ju- just as much to the fact that you can't exhale. And do you know what preaching is? It's releasing the breath of God. Do you know what I was doing? I was restricting the breath of God and therefore I was suffocating. Huh? Why do they call it a boa constrictor? Anybody know? It squeezes you until you can no longer expand and breathe or exhale and inhale because your lungs have not the capacity to move. Hmm? Do you know what the spirit of Leviathan is a lot, most of the time referred to? A serpent. What is the boa constrictor? What does the anaconda do? What does pythons do? They, they, they wrap and twist and manipulate and they squeeze the life out of the prey. Hmm? So the, the word of God can be used through manipulation or twisting of the word to be translated however the enemy or however ourselves want it to be. Okay, so again, me trying to preach the word on my own accord or in my own accord and by my own power, by my own knowledge and intellect, I was struggling because there was a conflict. There was a resistance and I was resisting. I was resisting the, the, the flow of the Holy Spirit because I wanted to be in charge and I wanted to be in control. It doesn't look like I've lost my mobile abilities up here today, right? I still move my hands. I still talk. I still look around. I still walk around. But really, when I came up here this morning, I, I, it was me surrendering what I am to God for God to use it to bring forth a revelation that will cause you to change, have a changed perception so that you could see him more in depth and clearly. Okay, so I've surrendered myself. I would much rather have maybe stayed in the bed or been in the tree stand this morning, right? But we're here because I'm surrendering something to God in order to receive something that is far greater than that which I surrendered. Hmm? I may have surrendered a few hours this morning, but I'm telling you right now, if I can surrender a few hours this morning, that is, and that's an investment to the kingdom, that investment is far greater of a return than anything I could have ever invested into in today or tomorrow or the days to come. Amen. So it, it's, 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 I say that to say this. Uh, I don't study the Bible to impress you or even get you to come to my church because I preach so good. Okay, I tried that. That didn't work either. Well, brother, I don't know about that. Listen, you wouldn't believe the people that have came up to me, and I don't say this braggadociously. I say this with all the humility because most of them aren't here. If not, the greatest part of them are not here. Brother, you preach, you, you preach so good. They're, they're, you, the sky's the limit. You're going places. You're going to preach. You're going to pastor a mega church one day. This, this, uh, I've had people stand right there at that door and tell me, said, you're bigger than this. Well, had I listened to that hoopla, I would have probably, I may have made it to uh, a bigger church somewhere or a mega church or had uh, this big grand ministry started with my name in it. And, but guess what? I would have been utterly miserable. I would have probably been suffocating because I'm resisting the Holy Spirit. Okay, this is as grand to me as if we were, if we were pastoring a church that could facilitate thousands. Why? Because, see, it doesn't matter. I mean, I, I struggle with this sometimes. It doesn't, it's 
the value in what I preach isn't necessarily the, the multitudes or even the numbers that hear my sermon. Because I've told you this before, and I don't know if you remember, but sometimes me preaching isn't just so that more will hear what the word, what the, the word that has been given to me is. It's actually God is paying close attention to see how close I was paying attention. Because if I start preaching something that is of myself that he did not give me, I promise you there will be a soft rebuke come my way. Hmm? Sometimes God gives you a sermon because he wants to hear it come out of your mouth to see how accurate it is. Amen? Amen. So I stopped judging and basing the success of my sermons on how many people downloaded them or how many people listened or how many people attended. I based my sermons on how easy the rebuke is now. Amen? So what you're looking for is what you'll find. And so, listen, you, the reason that things have changed for me so drastically over the last six, seven years is because I realized that I wasn't finding Jesus in the Scriptures. I wasn't hearing Jesus in my sermons. I didn't see Jesus in my life the way that I was preaching Jesus in my life. And so I started looking for Jesus in the scriptures. I started looking for Jesus in my prayers. I started looking for Jesus in my conscious awoken hours. And I started finding that there was far more to this Jesus than I had ever learned over here in religion and over here in legalism and over here in academics. Listen, one of the most abused words, I, I agree with Leonard Ravenhill, the two most prostituted words are revival and faith. I believe one, the, the third one would probably be relationship. Well, brother, it's a, I got a personal relationship. Well, it sucks. You have a personal relationship with your spouse, right? Go, go, listen, if I went six days without speaking to Brandy, acknowledging Brandy, spending time with Brandy, telling Brandy how beautiful Brandy is, guess what? Sunday morning, Brandy ain't going to want nothing to do with me either. I can't have a close personal relationship and minimal contact. People who say they have a personal relationship... I quit. I mean, let me look, come on. Let me really. How how how's that going to work for you when, in your marriage? You 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 have minimal personal contact. You have minimal intimacy. You have you have uh, minimal. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, when you have things, you have minimal things in common. You seem to live two separate lives, and you call that a personal relationship. So, but we, we, we claim this in the church that we have personal relationship with Jesus, but you have minimal relationship, contact, intimacy with Jesus. How is that working out? Hmm? Those, those people really, I mean, they're on the right track, but they just need to go a little bit further. And a little bit further, and a little bit further. You know, they, we've, we've got to understand that the most the greatest necessity within the church really is relational intimacy. Amen. It's relationship. In, in, I mean, when you say intimacy, everybody thinks, oh, he's talking about, he's talking about, this. no, 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 I'm talking about relationship. I'm talking about closeness. I'm talking about unity in the relationship. I'm talking about the desire to be in the presence of one another. That's intimacy. Okay? That's the greatest necessity within the church today is literally to steward and to begin to 
uh, light that flame of internal intimacy that you begin to desire one another's presence, one another's comfort. Listen, he already desires you more than anything. The sad reality is that we desire him less than anything. Because there's a myriad of other things that we will deliberately put in front of Jesus, spend more time with than Jesus, and then we expect Jesus to just come at our beck and call. Listen, Jesus is merciful. He is. But He's not a first responder. He's not a first responder. He's not somebody. He's not, it's not when you call 911 because you found yourself in a horrific situation and you need somebody to come and, and, and bail you out and rescue you and take care of you and so the big bad wolf don't come and devour you. Jesus is not a first responder, though he's the first one to respond. We, we have got to stop using Jesus as though he is expendable and we've got to stop using Jesus as though he's... he's He's, he's insurance and, and, and he's a first responder that I only need to call him or talk to him when I need him. No, you, there's a difference in needing him when you are in trouble and needing him just because he is who he is. He needs you. He wants you to need him just because he is who he is, right? I don't need Brandy because... I can benefit from what she can give me in life, though I can. I need Brandy because I desire to be with who she is. There's a big difference. Huh? Some of you ladies marry for money, right? <laughs> Just kidding. Not kidding. You know, that's true. Some of them do. And, you know, well, whatever it is. There's other reasons guys marry. But... But you've got to understand there, there is a necessity to need and want that person because you can't be who you are without them or who you're supposed to be. That has got to be every Christian's outlook. I can't be who I'm supposed to be without Jesus in my life. And you're not going to have Jesus in your life if he's not in your life. It's just that plain and simple, right? I used to work every day with that man, every day within the cab of the same truck. And, and, and we had conversations Close conversations. I, would you agree? I mean, I think we talked about some pretty, uh, pretty serious stuff. He lives on the other side of the country now, and I hardly ever talk to him the way that I used to. You see, the, so I'm, I'm using that as an example because we were once in close proximity. Now we're not even in the vicinity of one another. Different time zones and different area codes, right? We still have, we still talk to each other on various occasions due to uh, the glorious invention of the internet, but it's not personal. And most of the times it may not even be private. And that's the way we deal with Jesus is, you know, we don't want to have that, that close proximity and those conversations and those moments of just he and I where I just, I, just, I just need to be in his presence. But he's somewhere on the other side of the galaxy. But one day when I need him, I call him up. And since he's faster than the speed of light and all of these grand and great and wonderful things, then he'll be there as soon as I need him. Hmm? No. Get that out of your mind. He'll be there. He, he's merciful. He's, he's graceful. Yeah. But what a waste of my life and time not pursuing intimacy with him, not pursuing proximity to be in the same 
in the same reality and moment with him. Hmm? There's a a thing that I'm going to teach. It's called past or post. Okay. There's a thing in the the bow hunting world or in the deer hunting world called the pre-rut, the rut, and the post-rut. The post-rut comes afterwards. In the mechanics world, there's a pre-lube and a post-lube. Because hmm? when you pre-lube, it, there's a little pump that will pick up oil and it will push it to all your bearings and all your push rods and make sure that the engine is properly lubricated before you start to roll it trying to start it. And then after you shut it down, that same pump that was a pre-lube now becomes a post-lube. And it's going to make sure that there's adequate oil that is coating those bearings and push rods and lifters and everything that if it has to set there that it's going to have a protective coating or there's going to be a sufficient amount of oil that was pumped to the top end of that engine okay so it's post always means something that comes that, that comes afterwards so in the church we're so focused on what was before past and we're too focused on what is post yet to come to realize that Jesus is a reality within our moment here and now And that's not by coincidence. It's because he desires to be in communication and have dialogue and intimacy. He desires relationship more than you desire relationship. We we actually do him an injustice to deny him that relationship with us. And let me go ahead and give you this. This is not maybe doesn't pertain to anything, but most of us deny him, deny him that relationship, and do him such an injustice because we really just don't feel that we're worthy. Hmm. Oh man, listen. You ever you ever went to somewhere and you lift your arms? It happens to me all the time. I ain't afraid to admit it. Listen, uh, uh, there's just some things that happen when you become a man and your armpits start to stink, right? You ever been somewhere and just raise your arm up, go? Got somebody sucker punched you, right? You know that you have a little bit of a stench that may be permeating or emitting from your, your underarms. So all of a sudden you try to avoid contact with anybody. You don't want to come into too close of a proximity to anybody because they may begin to smell what you're trying to hide and un- they'll begin to know that there's something wrong with your armpits. You forgot to bath or take a deodorant or put on deodorant or whatever it is. Listen, I'll just be honest with you. I got to be careful what deodorants I buy because they smell good under the cap, but under my arm, yuck. Smell good, but as soon as I start to smell or sweat, I'm like, what is that? And you know it's bad when you start to smell yourself. Here's the problem. Most of us are so conscious, conscious to our stench, and I'm referring to sin, or our, our, our unworthiness. We're so conscious to our stench that we're so cautious or too cautious to get around him. Stop it. Stop it. The worst in your life, he's already seen it. He's seen you at your lowest. And there's nothing you've ever done that's ever made him turn away. Hmm? A lot of times, we're the ones that are standoffish. And you'll find scripture to validate why you need to just reserve yourself or to, res- to, to keep space reserved in between you and Jesus. Listen, that's not, that's not scripture. If that was the case, I assure you, we would never have John 3.16. We, we, we would never have 
uh, Gabriel coming to Mary and saying, you're highly favored of all women and God has chosen you and you're going to be with child. You're going to name him Jesus and he's going to, he's going to be the son of the most high and he's, go, he's going to redeem humanity from, from, from past to post and present. He's going to do it all. We'd have never had that. Why? Because why, why, why did Jesus need to leave the heavenly realm to come to the earthly realm and literally live a life for 33 and a half years that probably, you know, most, most rejected him because he lived a common life, one that was a little less than, than, than preferable, right? He, he left all of the amenities that are incomprehensible to you and I in heaven and came down here. Listen, I don't, listen I, babies are cute. I don't ever want to be a baby again. Why? Because I'm at the mercy of whoever is taking care of me. You are the most vulnerable in your life as, a, as, as an infant and, and when you're elderly. I don't want to be either one. I hope that, and listen, I mean, and you're really at the mercy of whoever's taking care of you at those two stages in your life. Jesus came and he was an infant. He was a fetus, life at conception, Salah. He was born and he lived for 33 and a half years and the anguish that he endured. Okay, you got to understand Jesus is 100% man, 100% God. There was never a time in his life that he was not cognizant to the reality that was in a different realm than he was presently. He was always aware of what was in heaven. He was always aware of the contrast between where he was now and where he was then and where he was going back to. And on top of that, the entire time, he knew the anguish that he was going to endure on the cross. Hmm? So don't tell me you need to stay away from Jesus because you stink a little bit. Because he just proved to you that he was not willing to stay away. That he was willing to come into this realm so that this realm could be united and reconciled with his realm. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Salah. Okay, amen. But again, which brings me back to another point. Uh, 42 minutes and 22 seconds. I've got at least another hour, right? Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. Uh, so many people want to interpret the scriptures as there is a futuristic event yet to come. Yes, there is a return of Jesus in bodily form. I believe that. I don't, think that's, I don't think that's necessarily the pinnacle of the Bible. I think the presence of Jesus is the pinnacle of the interpretation of the Bible. And the presence of Jesus has been through all out. Huh? From the beginning to the end. His name is the beginning and the end. The Alpha and the Omega. The first and the last. That's who He is. So the pinnacle of Scripture is the presence of Jesus, not the return of Jesus. And Leonard Ravenhill said it perfectly. He said, if you get more excited at the return of Jesus than you do the presence of Jesus, brother, you really need to rethink some things. So we have this outlook, again, a, a post view of there is something that is yet to come, but we miss the fact that Jesus already is and is now. And uh, thank you. And, and, and some of us get so caught up on yesterday and what Jesus was then and what Jesus was even further we, and that, we, that we miss 
we miss the reality that Jesus is now. And so we're, we're reading the scriptures and we get lost in this perspective that what I'm dealing with is what I must deal with because there's something better yet to come. There's a greater tomorrow. And I, I mean, listen, I love to see the sun setting on the horizon because I've always said that the horizon is a promise that the sun will come up again tomorrow. And that tomorrow can always be better. But I'm going to tell you right now that when Jesus is present in your life, there's never a day better than the one you're in now. And as contrary and paradoxical as this may sound, there's always better yet to come when Jesus is present in your life. But in that moment, there should be such a gratefulness and such a yearning within my heart that when I have connected with Jesus presently, nothing else, past or future, should ever matter as much as that moment with Jesus. I love what Eugene Peterson said. He said that, uh, that, that a moment, a now with Jesus, with Jesus, it is far better. He said it is. He said, a moment with Jesus is an eternity. Because there's nothing greater than that moment. And it's not that you experience that moment and then have to spend the rest of your life dwelling on that moment and hoping for another. Listen, that's not what I'm saying. That completely contradicts me and goes back to past and post. We've got to get rid of this concept of past and post to come into presence. The present moment within the presence of Yeshua is really where the church has got to be. Listen, people want to pray for revival to come. Listen, revival can come, but revival is also now. It starts. It has to start with the conception or the understanding that Jesus is. Here's where people go wrong praying for revival. Jesus come. Jesus come and bring revival. 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 Larry, come to church. Wait, Larry's already here, so why did I beckon him to come to church? Hmm? That's what we're doing. Jesus is already in your church service. I don't care whether you like it or not. You know, Damon Thompson once said he'd been to more churches than Jesus and everybody kind of, he said, no, no. He said, I've been to some churches I'm pretty sure Jesus wasn't at. You know, I, I, but where two or three gather in his name, he's there also. There's just some people that gather in somebody else's name, you know, their favorite preacher. The Listen, you, you take this, this, I've seen this. It works. I ain't mad at you. <laughs> You ain't seen a record record attendance in, in 15 years. All of a sudden, you, you got an idea you're going to invite Perry Stone to your church because it's going to pack out the house. Perry Stone's an investment to your congregation because if people think you're connected to Perry Stone, they may be looking for a church, and that's just what they were looking for, a church that was connected to a big-name preacher. So they come to your conference where Perry Stone... Listen, I like Perry Stone. Don't get me wrong. He's just the first thing, first name I thought of. When You bring Perry Stone to your church and everybody that follows Perry Stone is going to come to your church and they may take a liking to your church because one, it's nice, it's clean. You listen, you don't invite Perry Stone to your church without doing a thorough cleaning from top to bottom. You, you, don't, you don't invite... You make sure you got all your ducks in a row. You got... 
you got your greeters and you got your uh, valet parking, you got it all in a row. You make people feel like they're uh, the Queen of England and you, you, uh, you, you got it all in a row, man, because those are potential investments. You got what I'm saying? So let's move on. Uh, <clears throat> where was I before I started all that hoopla? It's not a good, it's not a good indication that y'all listen. Just saying. Ha <laughs> ha, I was just making a joke. Uh, no, really, where was I? Before I got on that mess. Jesus is now. Oh, yeah, Jesus is now. Let me see. One more. Let me, help, me, help me bring all this back together because I got totally, totally back, back, backtracking myself. Pray for revival. Yeah, pray. Oh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. The, the heathen was listening more than anybody. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, yeah, people will pray, Jesus come, Jesus come, Jesus and bring revival. We, we will make preparations for something that is yet to, to, to happen, which there is the reality that there's, I, I say it this way, and this is the way I teach, Jesus is now, but yet, more, but yet to come. Okay, I add one simple word. Jesus is now, and yet to come more. Right? You get, you get what I'm saying? We can say Jesus is now and yet to come, doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. It seems like, well, how can he be here and coming at the same time? That seems a little bit contra- contradictive. But then if you add the word more, Jesus is now. And is yet to come more. Then I'm te- what I'm saying there is Jesus is now. The fulfillment of Jesus is now. But the more I experience Jesus to come, the more I encounter more to come. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we will be, we, we, we get so content with just a little bit. And then we think, oh, I got to wait till one glad morning when this life is over and I fly away and I, I cross the old celestial pond to the other side and I get to meet Jesus face to face. But man, I'm not, I, I, the revelation that came to me is, is quit waiting to die to see me face to face. I died so that you could do that. Right? But we still get so caught up in Jesus is yet to come. We miss the fact that he is now. And the fact that we are so caught up on that he is to come, we can't fathom that there is so much to experience now and yet more to experience later. But the problem is, I'm afraid that we may not experience more until we start to experience something in the moment. Hmm? Come on. We've got to encounter Jesus somewhere. And begin to steward that encounter. Listen, explain that to me. When me and Brandy started dating, we were now. But we understood that there was yet to come. But we really didn't understand how much more. There are six of us in our home now. We're doing life together. What is it? Multiplying. Multiplying. Becoming a blessing and receiving blessings. We've got to, then that's what this whole thing is about. Is me encountering Jesus, being attached to Jesus in unity, or say holy matrimony, and then multiplying the encounter. And there's always more of Jesus, yet there is always Jesus still. Jesus is now, Jesus is still. What does that mean? He's still now from yesterday. 
Jesus is the same today, tomorrow, and forevermore can be absolutely simply translated as this. Jesus is always is. Is is in the moment. It's in the, it's in the present. Jesus is. You can go as back that far into, the, into eternity as you want to, and you can go that much further forward into eternity as you want to. No matter where you hit stop, and encounter Jesus, Jesus is simply. You understand that whole analogy that I'm using here? No matter where on the timeline you encounter Jesus, Jesus is. What is he? Everything he needs to be. He is that that is the fullness of God. He is the glory of the Father. He is salvation unto humanity. He is whatever the necessity is, and He is far more greater. Jesus is now, but He is yet to come more. Okay? So that, that, and we, we will find Jesus yesterday. We will find Jesus coming tomorrow, but we fail to interpret that Jesus is now in our life. The very moment that you and I are in now, Jesus is. He is spectacular, and He is present. Here's where we mess up. We fail to acknowledge the presence of Jesus because we fail to believe Jesus is present. Most of us would not be praying as frantically for things to come like revival if we truly believe that Jesus is now in this moment. You know what the, the appropriate cry for revival should be? Jesus, just reveal yourself. Hmm? Because I, I listen, I didn't wear this on purpose, but it just came to me. This is a cool shirt, though, by the way, right? I know y'all like it. It's almost too little. But we could say that I am slightly concealed, right? Because I've covered my identity in some way, shape, or form. There's a reason as to why I've covered my identity. Uh, and and I, whatever that may be, I don't know. But I'm, in any case, I'm covering or concealing my identity. But I'm only willing to reveal myself to those that are desperate and driven enough to seek me out. Okay, those that have concealed their identity are usually in a place to where they're 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 reserving. Not not not. I not sound like I'm contradicting some things here. Not. Not with not not they're reserved. They're kind of back, but they're still present. You know, you can be in the room with somebody and not be fully aware of their identity. Okay, here's what we've done over the last couple decades in church. We come to church. Oh, thank you, Jesus! I know you're. I know you're real, Jesus. I, I love you, Jesus. I need you in my life, Jesus. We will acknowledge the name of Jesus 40, 11 dozen times in one church service, but never acknowledge that Jesus is actually there, the one who answers that name. Right? So if you, if, if you and I are having a conversation, I'm in your presence, but my, my identity may be concealed either of my own desire or your desire. It doesn't matter. But we're, we're in the same vicinity, but we're not really in the same conversation. You, you, we could be trying to communicate with one another, but until you acknowledge my presence or you begin to you know, focus on me, which is my utmost identity, 
I'm still not in the room. I'm still not in the conversation. The, the, I, again, going back to what I was saying, until we start to pray, Jesus, reveal yourself, because it's, 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 it, it makes, it's nonsense. It's nonsense to pray for somebody to come that is already present. Roll call, and we raise our hand when the teacher said our name. We raise our hand and said, Present. Huh? We come into every church service and we wake up every day of our life. And the only place that we can place Jesus is somewhere across the galaxies in a faraway land called heaven. And, 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 and someday I'll get to see Him because I'll cross the old celestial pond that leads from this life to the next. Listen, I don't know about you, but I done, I done went from the one life to the next. Because I was born again. And that life is forever starting at that point from glory to glory to glory to glory. And what is the glory of God? It's the Son of God, the presence of Yeshua. And I'm missing out on observing the glory in this earth by convincing myself that I've got to wait until one glad morning. I done woke up on that morning and I was glad of it because Jesus saved my life. Guess what he also did? He came into my life. How did he come into my life? By coming into the very essence of my life, which is my heart. Jesus, one day. Yeah, come on, man. We've got to understand. I don't know. I've got a way off a of track here. But, but we've got to understand that Jesus is wanting to reveal himself to you and I, but will not until we begin to pray and pursue and seek him out in such a manner. Lord, I'm telling I said, I'm, I'm telling you, there's going to be a day. Shut up with the there's going to be and understand that today is the day in which the Lord hath made and I will rejoice in it. I'm not rejoicing for a day yet to come. I'm rejoicing for the day He's already bestowed upon me and the presence that He allowed me to encounter and experience at the same time. So caught up on things that are yet to come, yet to come, yet to come. Listen, I'm telling you, we are missing out on so much to be grateful for. In 2020 has absolutely sucked. The worst year of my entire life, I think. And it hasn't been all that bad. Really. What I dwell on will be my reality. Right? So we had a conversation, he and I did one time, that perspective is reality. How you view things is most certainly how you're going to, uh, you're going to perceive it. 2020 has been the worst year of my life. Yeah, it has, because you said it was. 2020, I, I, don't, I really don't know anybody in their right mind that can say 2020 has been awesome. Hmm. <laughs> Maybe that guy's been on a, a you know a space trip all his, the whole year. I don't know, and nothing has phased him. And he's a hermit anyway, so social distancing doesn't matter. And you know, I know people that wear masks all the time, so it really don't matter. Uh, 
So maybe that's, that's that kind of guy. But listen, I really, 2020 and, and as bad as it's been, has really not been all that bad. Because there's been opportunities for me to seek other things. And there's been opportunities for me to, to really see things in a different light, right? I mean, to see Jesus and the reality of Jesus now and coming as being the same reality, but not being uh, separated in, in any way, form, or fashion has really been remarkable for me. Like the revelation that has been given to me in year 2020 has far outweighed the restrictions that's been placed on me. Not that I'm saying I'm going to belly up and take whatever it is. Like sometimes you just got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything according to uh, Aaron Tippin, right? It's just, you you got to be your own man, not a puppet on a string. Right? Amen. These people say, well, you, you know, you got to bend over, roll over and take it or whatever it is. You, that really wasn't a very good thing to say, I don't believe. I didn't mean to say it that way, but just lay down and take it in life because it's the Lord's will. No, it's not the Lord's will. It's not. It's how you interpret the scriptures. It's your will or your lack thereof. That's, I mean, really, honestly, we've got to understand. It's not the Lord's will. It's our will or the lack thereof. Okay, I, I've, I've been teaching something about the suke and psyche. Okay, suke is the, is the Greek word for soul. Psyche is the uh, English word for the mind. Okay, that's significant. I'm going to share something with you. Uh, Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Yes, that's great. Learn of me. I love that part. So many people just overlook that part. But there's a great emphasis on the, on the statement there or on the, 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 um, uh, the demand or the command there is to learn of me for I'm meek and lowly in heart and I shall give you rest unto your souls. Uh, for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. First of all, we've got to learn of him. What am I studying the Bible for? To learn more about what's going to happen. Learn more about what did happen. To learn more about uh, uh, the, the, the rapture. Listen, if you've got, you got a rapture with no Jesus in it, it's worthless. Period. I don't care who you are. If your rapture has no Jesus, it's, it's worthless. If your Bible has no Jesus, it's literally worthless. It's not even worth the paper it's written on. So learn of me, study of me, meditate on me, reflect on me is really the answer to your laborious lifestyle. I'm wearied and I'm torn down, I'm broken. Jesus says, okay, learn of me. In whatever manner you have available, learn of me. If you have a Bible, read it. If you have a time to begin to pray and seek me some, in, 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 in that way, then do it. We've got to understand that Jesus is the answer, the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no other way to proceed unto the Father except through Him. I don't care how much you study. You can know the Bible from, the, from, from, from front to cover. Genesis to Revelations. But if you don't know Jesus, it's worthless. Your knowledge is absolutely worthless. It's not worth anything. It's zilt. Nada. I don't care if you know the Bible from Genesis to Revelations. I don't care if you don't know not one scripture, but you know Jesus. Brother, I don't see how you can do that. Listen, man, don't tell me that. Go study Helen Keller. How many times have we talked about Helen Keller? 
deaf and blind, could not see, could not hear. They developed a language that was that was directed, that was that was established just for her, a Christian man. Developed a language to which he could use to communicate to her and her to him. And he begins to tell her about Jesus, and her response is this: I know him. I've known him since a child. But I never knew his name. Listen, man, you don't have to know his name. You don't have to pronounce it right. You don't have to, you don't have to call him Yeshua. You could call him Jesus if you want. You don't have to call him Jesus. You could call him my God. You could call him Lord. I don't care what name you use. Just call him into your life. If you know Jesus, there is nothing else you have to know. There is nothing else you need to do to try to impress anyone. He has already impressed upon your heart. You've already received Him as Messiah and salvation is yours. But I promise you, one of the worst mistakes we make is staying right there. Oh, I've asked Jesus into my heart. I am so glad. I am so glad. Where are you now? I know people that have served and, and went to church for 30 years that don't know Jesus. And I'm not talking about the Bible. I hear people tell me all the time, said, I know I need to read the Bible more. No, you need to study Jesus more. You can quote scriptures, but if you don't know the very essence of the, the one that, 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 that inspired them, then your life is inspireless. Hmm? How can you inspire anyone by the words that were inspired of God if you don't know the God that inspired them? Listen, let me get me. I could give anyone my notes, and I promise you, you could read them without fumbling over a word, stumbling over a, a pronunciation. You, you could read them without stuttering one time. Guess what? You will not inspire anybody by the words that are on this page because you don't know the heart of the one that wrote them. Hmm? That's why poetry is so hard. I, I, I used to write poetry, still do sometimes. I hardly ever let somebody read them because I know they won't find the heart in that poem. They won't find the spirit that inspired that poem because they'll read it from a mundane and a, a, almost a boring. No, you got to know the heart of the one that inspired the text before you really understand and receive the revelation of the one that inspired the text. And we have been reading the text from Genesis to Revelation without the heart of the one that inspired them. And that's the point that I'm trying to make. A lot of, lot of people have interpreted the scriptures based on, on something else. Uh, how, do, how do we get legalism that has become so indoctrinated in the church because people, lawyers, begin to interpret the scripture and try to make everything look like a court setting. And God is a big, mean God sitting behind a podium with a, with a gavel getting ready to slam it down in a big black, big black robe getting ready, to, uh, getting ready to declare the sentence on your life whether you're guilty or whether you're innocent and how much time you're going to have to pull. Glory to God, I was guilty and, and the maximum sentence 
of my crime was 30 years and God had mercy on me and said that I was only going to pull five years and upon good behavior, I could maybe get out on parole in possibly two years. No, God looked down upon you through the lens of grace and says, I can't remember all that they said you have done. I've kept no record of all the wrong. All I can see in you is the presence of Yeshua. My salvation is upon you and I can't deem you guilty because there's no nothing upon you that would that would cause me to see anything of condemnation upon you so therefore i have pardoned you there's not you understand what i'm saying here come on god give me the minimum give me the minimum Give me the minimum. And we're so caught up in getting the minimum that we fail to understand that when he laid down the gavel he said not guilty We will walk away from the, from the stand, from testifying. On trying to get our sentence lowered. We will walk away thinking, man, I really blew that. I really blew that. Man, when he slammed that gavel down, we don't even realize that he said not guilty. Pardoned, forgiven. I'm setting you free from all that has been attached or associated to you over your, your past sins. Go and sin no more. We fail to see that. We fail to understand that and hear that. All we want is to see is what we've already perceived. That if he can just forgive me a little bit. Come on, man. Listen, this, maybe this is a test. And you can't, forgive your, you can't forgive others if you can't accept forgiveness. Hmm? I know people, I've talked to them in the last couple of years. I'm like, man, you need, first of all, you need to forgive yourself. And here's what we do. Okay, here's where it's tricky. Blind Bartimaeus is no longer blind Bartimaeus. Huh? The demoniac of the Gergesenes is no longer the demoniac of the Gergesenes. He was an, actually an apostle of the city of Decapolis. The Samaritan woman is no longer the Samaritan woman, even though religion calls her the Samaritan woman. She's actually St. Fotini, who actually stood face to face with Nero and said, I come here today to teach you to learn on the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth who converted Nero's daughter and a hundred of, of her handmaidens. The man with the withered hand is no longer the man with the withered hand. He doesn't have a withered hand, so how can we call him the man with the withered hand? Hmm? We, 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 want, we want to hang on to the things that we did wrong. If God delivers you from it, you've got to stop hanging on to it because he removed it from you and you can't hold on to it and use it to describe you anymore. Well, I'm just the one that I, 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 was, I was bad. I did this. I wrecked and I, 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 I lamed somebody up. And I got to live with that all of my life. You know what, man? That's a, that's a bad situation and I don't ever want to be in it. But I would hope and pray that I've seen enough Jesus in my situation that I realize that I'm, I, I, I don't want to say this because some people may get offended, but you know, I got to stop holding myself too much accountable. I got, I got to stop labeling myself to the things in my past that I am, I am ashamed of. Well, I was the adulterer or I was the drunk or I was on drugs. Those are testimonies, but they're not identities. 
You can use those to bring somebody out of the same bondage, but you can't bring them out of the bondage if you are low-key, subtly holding on to the same bondage. You understand what I'm saying? Well, brother, I had a problem. Well, you had a problem. Emphasis on had. The problem's no more. Come on. Jesus says, I'm your forgiven. Go and sin no more. We've got to understand that. Listen, he gives us the spirit. You ever do anything you think you're not supposed to do and all of a sudden you start to feel bad? You can ignore it. You can move on. You can go ahead and do what you don't think you should do because it's making you feel bad. But if you'll stop at that moment, you start to feel uncomfortable and you start to feel uneasy and you're starting to feel even sometimes physically sick. I don't know how it does you, but when I are beginning, if I'm beginning to think of something that I shouldn't be thinking about or I'm getting ready to say something about somebody that I shouldn't say that about them, I will start to feel a physical sickness come over my body and that's the Holy Spirit trying to convict me before I mess up. Start praying. Start praying. Right? So anyway, there's some things that I wanted to talk about this morning that I know we're going on, uh, we're going on uh, hour and 12 minutes. Give me 15 more minutes. That's an hour and 30 minutes. That's a pretty good day, right? Preach, preach it, preach it. I'll tell you what, that's probably two words you, or one word you don't want to say in here because I'll preach it now. I'll go on now. I'll get down with my little bad self. Uh, listen, man, it is a war test. We, we see things, we automatically view Scripture and we will interpret them to the, to, in the most negative context. Right? I, I had a conversation with a friend of mine yesterday. He was talking about he likes to read the Bible. He said, I struggle with revelations. I said, let me help you with revelation. I said, it was never named the revelation of end times. He said, well, that's what I was talking about. It. I said, no, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. I said, everything in it is pointing to Jesus. I said, somewhere along the lines, we got so affixed on this is the end of the world and this is all the horrific things that are going to happen and this is the horrible things that are going to take place. But no, John the Revelator was on the island of Patmos and he was called up into the heavens and the first thing he starts to describe is the realm of heaven and the one seated in the center and how magnificent he is. And he never wavered from what he saw in heaven. The book of Revelations is about the revelations of the one named Yeshua. Again, what you are looking for when you read the text is what you will find. If you're looking for a bad ending, you'll find a bad ending. If you're looking for Jesus, you'll find Jesus. If you're looking as to why you are absolutely pitiful, you'll, be, you'll know that you're pitiful. You'll begin to think you're pitiful. But listen, you are beloved of God. Whatever you're looking for in the text is what you'll find. So are we looking for something as far as a war or are we looking for a test? Is this an evaluation? Is this something that God will use to begin to understand or begin to really understand who, not that he needs to understand, but is, is, is me evaluating the text actually evaluating me? Is me evaluating the text actually evaluating me? Is the text evaluating me? Let me explain here. So if how a man thinks in his heart is, is, so, is how he is. So everything that I believe and everything that I think is actually extensions of the essence of who I am. Hmm? You ever talk to somebody and they'll be like, well, I just don't believe that. Or I don't believe in that. Or I don't see it that way. It's because it's in their heart. It's a condition of their heart. 
How I read the scriptures and interpret them is actually an evaluation of how I am internally and essentially in my heart. I don't know if essentially is a real word, but it is today. Right? In essence and internally, my heart will reveal who I am. And, the, and listen, the Word of God is a mirror that will show us exactly who we are because we can't interpret it from the heart and not be revealed of who we are in our heart, okay? So, let me, let me say this again. We have to understand that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, Proverbs 23 and 7. A man is exactly what is in his heart, Okay? Jesus taught, and this is where we're going to get. This is Mark chapter 7, verse 20 through 23. I know that you've been waiting patiently to get there. We're finally there. We're pulling into the harbor. Going to let down the anchors and let y'all get off the ship for just a little while, okay? Uh, I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation, and I'll read it from the King James. Let me read it from the King James first. Okay. Okay. There is nothing from within a man that is. Uh, let's go. Let me read 14. How about, can we read from 14 to verse 23? It, it, it may help us get a clearer picture. Verse 14 says, And when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand, there is nothing from within a man that entereth into him, him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he saith unto them, Are ye so without understanding also? Do ye not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him, because it entereth not into his heart? but into the belly and goeth out into the drought, purging all meats. Verse 20 says, And he said, That which cometh out of the man that defileth the man, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, and evil eye, blasphemy, Pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and defileth the man. Now, in verse 14, verse 15, and verse 16, he's talking about, you know, there's a discussion, there's a debate. What you're putting in your body defiles the temple of God. And he says, no, 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 no. What defiles you is what comes out of you because what comes out of you is indicative to what is in your heart because the heart of the man is the central essence of who that man is. Whatever you do and however you act, however you conduct yourself is actually indicative to what is in your heart. Okay? The thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ is... It changes the heart of the man. It changes the heart of the individual. And listen, why was David so forgiven? David was probably more of a scoundrel and more of a heathen in his ways than any of us in this room. But he was called a man after God's own heart. Why? Because in pursuing the heart of God, there is a consequence that ensues of which the man that pursues the heart of God begins to 
begins to develop the very heart in which he pursues, which is the heart of God. So David began to have a heart that, that I don't want to say mimic, but it very closely mirrored the heart of God. Huh? Well, I don't know about all that. Listen, again, quit looking at past and quit looking at post. Start looking at presence and start looking at the person, both which is you and the one that is Jesus. Because those two presences, you and him, have got to come together somewhere in this encounter and be simultaneously one at the same time. It will, it, I believe that it should become said of, of us one day that their presence is likened the presence of God. Hmm? No, that's not blasphemy. Read your Bible. That's scriptural. Huh? Because if he dwells within you, is it not meet and fitting that if they encounter you, they should too encounter Jesus? Salah. So the problem with me translating Scripture is, and I'll be honest with you, you know why so many of us are hellfire and brimstone preachers? Because the hell with them that didn't serve God the same way and in the same capacity that I did. I tell you what, this old world, I'm telling you, they ain't worth the lead and powder to blow their brains out. How many of you heard that before? I'll let them die. People got mad when we started developing Narcan so that we could, we, I don't, not we, I've never done it. I've seen it done once, kind of weird. And I was like, it's in their leg. I don't know why it was in their leg. I was thinking, but I guess that's where you give an EpiPen too. I'm not sure. So, I mean, but we, well, oh, they're going to they're gonna give a drug addict a Narcan and save their lives when they ain't even, you know, you understand, we've all heard those conversations. I ain't got nothing for them. I don't feel sorry for them. I'm going to tell you right now, though I've served the Lord for 30 years and there's going to be a day, I'm telling you that old eastern sky is going to open up and he's going to call his church on up out of this world, honey, and all of them old sinners is just going to have to deal with it. And I'm telling you, it's going to be hell and torment and they're going to, have, they're going to cry out for the Lord and they ain't going to hit, their prayers ain't going to be answered and the church will stand up in, a, in encouragement and in excitement. Wow, yeah. Death to the sinners. Y'all know I'm preaching the truth. Death to all the drug addicts. Death to all the prostitutes. They had their chance. Well, I don't know if they had their chance or not. Maybe you had your chance to witness to them and get them saved. So what, what's, what's the, how do you interpret it? You're looking for a reason to vindicate and validate your disdain towards those that haven't lived the higher standard or as a high standard as you. Well, by God, I'm telling you right now, I ain't drunk a drop of beer in 30 years. Well, good for you. Good for you. I'm proud of you, but guess what? Why are you not using that same that, that same thing that got you off of it, that same testimony that got you off of it, why are you not witnessing to every one of those that you look down upon? You look down your nose because they're still drinking, but you're not... Come on, I don't care. You're a hypocrite. 
Well, I thank God every day that I got off of it. Yeah, but guess what? He got you off of it so that your testimony could get somebody else off of it. It's a consequence of surrendering your life to Jesus. And here's the, here's the kicker. I don't know that you're saved. You just got off of drink. You got off of drugs. But until you become eager and enthusiastic to tell people about Jesus... Come on, man. Listen, I know people all the time that don't have Jesus that got off of drugs. I know people that, that were alcoholic, were adulterers, were, were, were living a lifestyle that would have got them straight to hell. They're not living the lifestyle anymore. But guess what? They're not serving Jesus. So what's the end result? Hmm? There's, there's a big difference here. And we, we've got to understand that the, the way we interpret Scripture may be a mirror that is trying to reveal the condition of our dark and blackened heart. Listen, I, I'm going to tell you straight up. I, I know a guy, he, I ain't going to tell you his name. I really don't. I almost probably would. I don't care that much, you know. All I've heard, I've heard this name for years and years and years. I don't know half of them. I just know their names. They're like, oh, yeah, you know. I was like, I know his name. I never seen him. I like to meet him. I just heard a lot about him. But this guy, very popular preacher, pastor in this community, in these communities, known all over, famous as far as the county and the region. We, we were in a store one time and this lady come in, and I'm not saying this to boast on myself. I'm just telling you, you got, it's got to be in perspective. When you see people trying, you don't knock them down. She come into this store and she was selling homemade candies. And I don't know if you've ever made homemade candies. I've not made homemade candies, but I understand the homemade candies is a lot of time. It's a process. There's a lot that goes into making homemade candies. And she come in there selling these candies for nearly nothing, trying to make trying to make a little bit of money just so she could. Uh, I don't know, but she I mean she had a legit reason. It wasn't one of those man I, I can't pay my phone bill kind of thing, you know. We all have heard that. I can't pay my phone bill, can't pay my TV bill, can't pay my power bill. I need some money. No, she was trying to make some money on the side. To to like I, I really think it was it was the dentist for her kid. I really I mean that's that's what I keep thinking that it was. And whether it was or whether it wasn't, it wasn't like she she couldn't pay her bills. She was trying to make money so that she could do something extra that was a necessity for her kid. Is is dentist, doctor or something along those lines. And uh she she came up to this man that I'm talking about and said, Would you like to buy some candy? Gave him the whole reason as to why and he refused her. He said, No, but he said, No, honey, I'm diabetic. When I got my change from paying at the, the counter, it, it I don't know, it was it was well over ten dollars. I turned around, I put it all in her box, I said, You keep it. Maybe a little of me done it out of spite, but a whole lot of me done it because I wanted her to achieve her goals in life. It made, she wasn't trying to become an investment banker, but she was trying to make enough money so that she could do something in life to be proud of because I, she knew where she had come from. I knew where she had come from because you could see it all over her, but she was doing the best she could. And the man of God refused her because he had some troubles. He was a diabetic. Buy the candy and give it to your grandkids. 
What was a dollar to you, homeboy? You was putting $40 of gas in your truck outside. That's what I'm saying. We've got this, we've got this interpretation of the Scriptures is they, they deserve the wrath of God and I don't. They deserve to be left behind and I don't. They deserve to burn in hell and I don't. Listen, I'm going to tell you, here's the problem with what we do in this whole what you find, what you're looking for in the Scriptures is what you'll find is you'll start to compare and contrast your darkness with everybody else's darkness because theirs might be a little bit, a, a few more shades darker than yours. It's a lot. Can I say that again? You will start to interpret these scriptures. If you're, you will find what you're looking for. But what it translates to is you will begin to compare and contrast your darkness to somebody else's darkness. Because their darkness may be a few shades darker than yours. That's what the Pharisee did. Even though he tried to, uh, he tried to make himself boast himself up. Literally, he 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 was trying to compare his darkness to the darkness of the the publican or the tax collector. Some of the darkest hearts are religious hearts, and that's the point I'm trying to make. And it's really time we stop interpreting. Listen, all I want you to understand at the end of this is is that if we can't interpret and teach the scriptures without seeing and showing Jesus, then we need to stop. Because we're doing more damage than good. Let me go on. Um, verse 18. Let me get, where was that? Verse 18. Let me just go ahead. And let me start there. I don't know if that's where I was at, but I'll just start there. And he saith unto them, Are ye so without understanding? Do ye not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him? What is ever entered in that is from without? Food. Out, in. Put it in your mouth. Okay? He says, uh, It cannot defileth him because it entereth not into his heart. Come on. What defiles the man is what he allows or what he puts into his heart. We're just beating a dead horse here this morning. It's the condition of your heart. And the Word of God will reveal the condition of your heart, whether you like it or not, whether you want it to or not. Let me go on, and I know we're, we're approaching that whole 15-minute window that I asked for, like I've got uh, 40 seconds left. Hey, that came all the way from Vegas. Oh, yeah, yeah, he come from Vegas. Y'all got we, 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 we We've got to kind of extend. The, give me another hour, okay? <clears throat> Because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the draught, purging all meats. And he said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man, for him within, or from, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceits, lasciviousness, uh, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within <coughs> that defileth the man. So as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Let me, let me ask you this. Do you believe when I tell you that how you view people is a direct indicator of how you actually view yourself? You can put a pretty facade on it. You can walk around with a religious garb all over you and a religious attire and you can walk up down the road like you're holier than thou. But if you look down upon people as though they're unworthy, it's actually because you may see yourself as just as unworthy as you see them. 
Because it's a consequence of how you view your reality. And it could be a consequence of where you view eternity. Come on. What am I trying to say? Listen, it sounds like I'm really whooping up on y'all pretty bad, but I'm not. I'm telling y'all to start looking into the person presence of Jesus and become a mirror image of the image of Christ in the earth. And listen, you can't reflect the image of Jesus when you allow the image of yourself to get in the way. Look, have you ever, my wife does this to me every time I'm trying to trim up my beautiful luscious beard in the sink. Every time. And listen, there is not a whole lot of room between where my sink is and where the corner of my, my, my shower is. So there's just enough room for me to get in between those things. And here comes little old Brandy. And, and she tries to squeeze in because she's got to brush her teeth while I'm in the middle of fixing this. That, and I'm like, okay. So the point that I'm making is, have you ever tried to look in the mirror when somebody gets in the way? You no longer have, the, you know, you're no longer able to see your reflection in the mirror, but you see their reflection in between you. Here's the point I'm making. You're supposed to be standing in front of Jesus and you're supposed to become the mirror of the mirror and you begin to reflect this image of Jesus into the earth. But what happens is, is you allow yourself to step in between. Your image becomes the one that steps in between. And all of a sudden, you can no longer reflect the image of Jesus because you then begin to mirror the image of who you really are because you're beginning to reflect your heart. Does that make sense? Makes a lot of sense to me. Well, I, you know, again, you can't reflect Him when you allow the image of yourself to get in the way. And that's what we do. And again, how does that, how, how does that, how does that relate because you're reading the Bible to validate yourself. So therefore, it's the same as though you stepping in between you and Jesus. And it, it disables you to then see the image of Jesus in the scriptures that you're trying to read. Why? Because your intent when you set out to read it was to find something that vindicated how you felt or how you believed. You really will find it. Promise you. It's just like Facebook. Social media. You know how many times I see somebody post something and I think to myself, if they had not read that, they would have never had, that would have never been a thought. Huh? They read something that vindicated them and validated their ideology or their beliefs and they had to post it. Why? Because they couldn't quite put into words exactly how they felt. Well, here's the problem. They didn't know how they felt. They come across something that sounded good and maybe felt good to them and they begin to determine, well, that's how I feel and they begin to post it. So what I'm saying is how you or what, how you are feeling and how you, or how you, how you view yourself or what you are looking for is what you will find in the text. I don't care if it's in the Bible or on social media. You'll find something that will validate and vindicate your wrong ideology. Hmm? And it spreads like wildfire. Well, brother, let me tell you what I found here in the Bible. Brother. This is what the Bible says. What do you think about that? Well, let's get into the debate. Listen, you know why a lot of times I won't talk to people about the Bible? Because when they ask you a question, it doesn't matter what your answer is. It's going to be wrong. They asked you the, they asked you the question so that they could give you the answer. You know why? Because they wanted to prove to you that they knew more about the Bible than you do. I've had people argue me about the Bible, argue my answer with the same answer. 
You believe that? I have. I've been. I've had people ask me a question about the Bible. I give them my answer, and they jump so fast to correct me, and they correct me with the same answer that I give them. And I look at them. I said, "That's exactly what I just said." Well, I know, but 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 I know, it's the same, or it isn't. But as a matter of fact, it's the same exact answer. You just about repeated me. Like it, I almost thought you had turned into a parrot. I, there's, there's people I do. I, I will do that now. I'll be like, I don't know. What do you? What's the Bible say about this? I'm like, I don't know. You may need to tell me because I really don't know. Because in the back of my mind, I'm thinking it don't matter what I say. It's going to be wrong because you're just looking for an opportunity to tell me what you think the Bible says. You ever talk to somebody like that? All the time. Maxine, why are you looking at Frank when you said that? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Exactly. And that's a lot of times what happens. It really is. We just need to tell you how to interpret the scripture. Because guess, 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 here's why. We need accomplices. We need witnesses. We, we need associates that will come into agreement with what we say. Because, see, if, if, I, if I'm arguing with Jimmy one-on-one, I really don't know whether I've won the battle or not. But if I can convince Larry and Frank to come with me and agree with me and, and, and side with me and against, Larry, against Jimmy, then I can feel affirmed in the battle and I can walk away knowing that I defeated him in this debate. So I got to show you, and, and half the time, you know what? We'll just go along with it and be like, "Yeah, that's 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 what it says. That's what it says." Listen, you you can use any text and take it out of context. You can make it mean what you want it to mean. Let me go back to something I stated earlier. Let me re-reference this. Until you know the heart and the spirit of the one that inspired the text, you'll never appropriately or properly interpret it. And too many over the years have tried to interpret the text without the inspiration of the Spirit and knowing the heart of God. Amen? Amen. We have interpreted it from the essence of the heart of man. And that's the point that I'm trying to make this morning. And I think, I hope, I made it clear. Amen? Is it in God good? I think He is. He's good to me when I don't deserve him to be. But that's the beauty of who God is. I, I can't make God love me. But in, I can't make God love me. But in as much as I can't make God love me, I can't make God hate me either. Hmm? As, no matter what I've done, he's always sought, wanted. I, and I'm going to close with this, and just to get myself out of a little bit of trouble, I feel like I might have got myself into in that last statement. That as much as I can't make him love me, I can't make him hate me. Because, see, there's nothing I can do that, that, that begins to incite or instigate love in God. God just is love. So, therefore, the fact that he is love, I can't make him love me, and I can't make him hate me. He just loves does that make sense? So what I, I say this all the time to people. I said, I don't teach the prodigal son to teach them about the son. I teach the prodigal son to teach them about God the Father and how he loves us and how he desires for us to come home. Amen? Have I fed you? 
I think I think it's funny. A few years ago, or maybe this year, I don't know if you, some of you remember. I said, but God kind of caught me on this. I said, I I sent you there every Sunday morning to feed them. And it, 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 you know, I may feed you too much. You ever done? I mean, you eat too much, you can't. You feel bloated, feel uncomfortable. But I want there to be enough. I never want to leave you hungry. I would rather send you home a little bit too full and you have to lounge around and moan and groan about how stuffed you are the rest of the day than for you to go home and say, you know what, I'm hungry. I don't want you to leave here hungry. So I want, to leave, I want you to leave here knowing that you're fed. And I don't care if there's leftovers. Put it in your plate and take it home, okay? Either Amen. One right, huh? Either one could be right to go home hungry. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Hopefully it's so good you come back next week with an appetite. We'll say it that way. Amen. Huh? Wanting more. Yeah, wanting more. Absolutely. Uh, amen. I'll go on if I don't hurry up and go ahead and end it. So uh, y'all give me uh, nine minutes and 33 seconds extra, and I'm grateful of it. Amen. So if you're fed and happy, I'm happy. Amen. Let's stand. Our vision for the Rooted Legacy podcast is that we give as much free content to God's creation as possible. However, if you've been affected by God's word and would like to give, you can do so at Tithely Online or on the Tithely app. Just search Laurel Branch Church of God. Our address is Clear Fork, West Virginia 24822. That is Tithely.ly, T-I-T-H-E dot l y thank you for listening and may god bless you and all that you do today